0: Michael Blay has a powerful love song. It's bouncy, it's full of life, and it talks about how transformative love can be. One of the verses says, And I know that we can be so amazing, and being in your life is going to change me. And now I can see every possibility. But then we realize a line from the chorus comes up, and he says something. It's sort of a shocking twist to the song, and it is... Yeah, I just haven't met you yet. (laughs) This love that he sings about, we realize, is not a reality. It's just something in his imagination. It's something in his heart. It's a longing that he has that he hasn't quite found. Still, he's looking for it. It's out there. Well, there is a longing in every human heart, a longing for connection, a longing to know and be known. We're all longing for something. It may be love, connection, purpose, significance, or to know that we matter. Why is it that as we look at all the stories in our culture, whether they're coming from film or literature or art, um, what we learn in all of this, or music, is the themes that we call the gospel? There is a love that can fulfill us, that can transform us, it can undo past harm, it can set straight the crooked, it can mend the broken in us. That is because all people have God-shaped vacuums in them. One of my favorite Christian theologians is Blaise Pascal, and he had an idea about this that he told us back in 1670. And you'll see his quote behind me on the wall. He said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each person which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God, the creator, made known to us through Jesus Christ. What he's saying is there's something in each human soul as he goes on. He says there's a craving, there's a helplessness in each person. And it's an infinite abyss and it needs an infinite object, which is God, to fill that space in us. And this concept is something of what Paul is speaking about, this God hunger, as he walks through the marketplace in Athens. He's reading his culture very well. Let me tell you a little bit about Athens. As you know, Athens used to be the great world superpower, and now it's been superseded by Rome that has taken over. But nonetheless, Athens is still a great city, and it's known as the sort of the place that all great philosophy was being birthed out of. And they were famous in Athens for their university. Let's take a look together at verse 16 to 18 to see what it is that Paul encountered. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that their city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Well, I want to pause with you there in the story to tell you a little bit about the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers. They sort of represented two different worldviews about how to make life work. The Epicureans believed in avoiding pain and pursuing pleasure, even sensual pleasure, as a means of filling that void within. Now, the Stoics had the opposite approach. They believed in self-control, self-mastery, to help you overcome the passions and pursue a life of virtue. Now, some of us have perhaps been referred to as Stoic, coming from New England, where we're known with a stiff upper lip. Um, But I would argue that we're all guilty of both sides of those equations, whether it's the pleasure-seeking or it's the self-mastery. Those are two different worldviews we all function out of, aren't they? And Paul's speaking to both sides of the story, and he's saying there's another option. Neither of what you're doing to make life work, neither philosophy has enough to fill that infinite void. So let me tell you a little bit about this setting. He leaves the marketplace. They say, listen, you got some thoughts, some ideas. We always love new things. Let's take you to the Areopagus. We're going to go over there. And I want to explain that to you. That was a big, large rock outcropping not far from the Acropolis. And it was the place that it was a court, and it was where they'd listen to religious matters and decide them. So what Paul had to say was very important. They wanted him to be in that position, to be able to teach and be argued with about his opinion. So let's look at verse 22 through 23 to see how he cleverly begins his conversation with the people of Athens. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, says, "'Men of Athens, I preach that in every way you are very religious.'" For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So Paul, what a wonderful apologist he is. The very beginning of his statement to them is a compliment about this people. He's saying, you are very religious. Good for you. That's wonderful. Now let me fill in the story, is part of what he's saying. But he knew how to set the gospel into a context that people could hear him. Imagine what that must have been like, to come across an altar. There's all kinds of temples and shrines and statues where he's wandering around, and he comes across one that says, to the unknown God. You think about what it must have taken for people to say, We don't want to leave anybody out. We don't want to get on the bad side of any god. We better make one to the unknown god. It's a little fire insurance in the spiritual world, right? So they've got this statue, and you've got people out there. They're, you know, getting this stone ready. They're chiseling it, and then a group of people are erecting it. All to, we don't know who, but it's there, right? The unknown god. Well, we know vacuums are god-shaped, and we know that... Paul is speaking to those God-shaped vacuums, and he's now going to tell them who this unknown God is. In verse 24 through 26, let's see how he unpacks that. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. What beautiful, poetic words telling us we were designed by a creator God, a personal God who's relational. Later we read the words, we are his offspring. So God is our parent. Do you see how different this God is than all those other gods that are going on around him? This God has made us and made everything. And he's not contained in temples, but he's in charge of time, events, and history. In verse 27, we see him say, not only is this great and incredible God there, but there's a personal piece to this. It said, God made all of this, that we should seek God and perhaps feel our way towards him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. That we might feel our way towards him and he's not far from each one of us. What powerful words about God. I want to tell you a little different version on this same verse, but as I do, I want to ask you, can you imagine a time where you were in a dark place that you didn't know very well and the lights went out? You, you can feel it. Do you feel a little anxiety coming up? Maybe a memory of kind of doing this, trying to find the wall, trying to figure out where you were. I remember when I was driving on a dark road Um, It actually was a very lit road. There were street lights and street lamps and all the houses were lit. And all of a sudden, the power on the street went out. And everything went to complete darkness. And I just felt completely disoriented. I had this sort of unnatural fear rise up and I felt lost. I didn't know my way at all. Well, I love the way Eugene Peterson in The Message talks about this verse, verse 27. As he's describing that God that made us and everything, here's what he put. So we should seek after God and not just grope around in the dark, but actually find him. He doesn't play hide and seek with us. He's not remote. He's near. What a wonderful invitation, right? We don't need to grope around in the dark. That's not what God's intending. God is near and God invites us close to him. And why? Well, we find out Paul goes further in contextualizing the gospel, in putting the gospel into the hearer's context by what he says next. He tells them, For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. Now Paul very cleverly is quoting two different poets with those two lines of scripture. One poet wrote in the year 600 BC and the other in the year 300 BC. So Paul knew these Greek poets well enough that he could translate the gospel into language and communicate it in language they already knew and understood. What a powerful testimony. He knows what matters to them. He knows their language, their poetry. He knows how important that is to these people gathered in this place. And he taps into that deep inner longing that each of them have. Paul also looked around the world, and we have this opportunity as well, to see the pointers to God that exist everywhere. Opportunities to translate the gospel. Dallas Willard said, we live in God, a God-drenched world. The gospel is written on human hearts. It's all around us. So God put longing and desire in us and in all people that only he can fill, but we try to fill that hole, don't we, with so many lesser things, with so many idols and false substitutes. We all worship something. One pastor said that if you really want to know what it is you value in life, look at your bank account and your calendar to see what it is your heart's desire is about. So we are the God-created ones, and our God is not in temples. He's not fashioned by gold and silver and human hands, but God came to earth. This is the message Paul's sharing with the people of Athens. God came to earth through Jesus and the resurrection. And we have the opportunity to come to that God who is drawn near to us through repenting and receiving him. For those seeking, the light has come on in the dark, and this vacuum in me and in us is actually Jesus. The Psalms talk as well about this idea of longing and of God satisfying our longing. If you see, we have verse... 107 verse 9, for he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. So God cares about our longing, and he has given us an answer. And finally, as the story closes in our text for today, we are introduced to two new characters, If you want to take a look with me at verse 34, we see their different reactions to Paul's message, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus the Areopagite and the woman named Damaris and others with them. So I want to tell you a little bit about these two named characters. Damaris is given a name, which is pretty unusual in scripture. For her to be named. The belief by biblical scholars is that she was either a wealthy person and a person of influence in Athens at the time, or she was a well educated foreigner who happened to be at this sort of court setting that was going on, or she may have been a God fearing person who was in the synagogue with Paul and traveled with him to hear more about this Jesus. Now, Dionysus, on the other hand, goes on later to become the bishop of Athens. So he's a man of influence, and the early church described his unique call to faith, which in some respects is all about our text for today. What happened to him was at a young age, he was actually in Egypt at the moment of the crucifixion he remembered the sky going dark from 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock during the day and having this profound sense of knowledge in his heart that this had to do with God. He knew that, but years later, he meets Paul at the Areopagus, and he hears the story about the God that had touched his heart then and the God that had divinely orchestrated events for him to meet Paul now and to learn more about Jesus. So God does that for each one of us. Well, we live in a place not far off from Athens. In many respects, our culture has God-shaped vacuums all over. And like Paul, we have the opportunity to listen and to study our culture in a way that we can tell people the good news. Maybe it's by quoting poetry or a song that somebody's written or seeing a work of art. There's some way we can translate the good news because we know that all people have God-shaped vacuums, only fillable by him. There is a creator God who loves us, who's not far from each one of us. So if today you feel like, yes, I'm a person of a God-shaped vacuum, and I've never really asked God to come fully into my life, to be the one infinite source that can fill that, I invite you as you come forward for communion today, to come forward to repent and receive that gift that God has to offer to you. And if for you,